Father God, I pray for every mind and every heart here today to be open to hear and understand your word. I ask you, Lord God, that you would remove any veils or scales off people's eyes or any limitations, Father. I ask you, Lord, for wisdom and guidance to deliver your message of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our mission, we heard, our mission got preached, you see. I'm going to keep referring to that. It's loving God and loving people. Um, and the Bible says for a Christian to be mature and grow and, uh, and have the, reach the fullness of Christ, it's not just loving people, but it is also loving God um, in a non-judgmental and equal and a united way. And back in February uh, this year, I announced the 2022 theme, or let's call it the focus of the year, which was loving people. And I've been walking us through the book of Ephesians, and it's been six months now, um, just between the Ephesians chapters 4 and 6. So I've been walking us through a bit of a journey just to explain and describe what a Christian life looks like, look, looks like in, a, in accordance to the Bible through our church, through our family, through our workplace. And uh, Paul, who writes the book of Ephesians, describes it. He describes a completely new way of living. And, uh, you know, we, we like to read about it. We like to talk about it. But he describes something that needs to be acted out, a, a, an action or a way of living that is transformative, a way of living that's completely different to, to the world around us. And, uh, and it's a completely new transformational way uh, of living in our household, in our families, at work, at church, in every part of our life. And, uh, and, and the thing is, when people genuinely see people living a different way that is contrary to the world, which is corrupt, bound by lust, greed, desires, when, the, when people see a completely new transformational way of living, it's attractive. And they will be attracted to a community of peace. See, how do I know that? Because the Bible says that when Jesus is lifted up, all people are, lift, are, are drawn to him. When Jesus is lifted up, that is not, not just in words or empty speech or empty show, but by a genuine relationship with God, people will be drawn to him. And that's so encouraging to see that, that as we grow in Christ and as a community of believers grow and mature in Christ, that people will be drawn to Christ by the way that we live. And the Bible does say that by this, Jesus said, by this the world will know that we are his true and genuine followers by the way that we love each other. So Paul in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 describes this new power of this new, this new thing, this new power of the Holy Spirit that opens up our spiritual eyes um, and understanding to the mystery and plan of Christ. So that's in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And the plan th- that Christ and, and, and Paul was talking about is a plan of reconciling himself to people, reconciling himself to humanity. That's between chapters 1 and 3. And those who choose to become, it, it, who, those that choose to become a child of God or jo- those that choose to accept Jesus as their Savior become a child of God and they get a new inheritance, taking on a new identity with a new power to live a transformed life in Christ. Now, the, Paul, Paul the writer at the end of chapter 3 summarizes this transformational experience 
in Christ. And like John, I've repeated this scripture a number of times, and I love the power of repetition. I love what it does, and I love how it just keeps reminding us. And also, the other thing that it does, it helps you to see things in different light. Even though you read the same scripture, I don't know about you, but how many times I've read the same scripture, I'm like, oh, oh, it's a different view. It's a different understanding. So I love reading uh, scriptures over and over again to understand and even in different translations sometimes to, to get a full understanding of what it means. So Ephesians 3.16, at the end of Ephesians 3, as Paul's wrapping up this section of showing us our new identity in Christ and showing us the power of the Holy Spirit in our inner being and that transformational power, this is what he says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, we're a new people, a new creation, with Christ dwelling inside of us. That's who we are. And we've got to keep repeating it because it's hard to, it's hard to comprehend it. It's hard to comprehend it and to understand it with our natural mind. We've got to keep bringing it to the, to the forefront so that we can catch it and take it in. We are a new creation. We are being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in this new creation, in this new way of living, in this transformed life. See, in this life, it's based on God's love. He continues, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses any knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. See, the fullness of God is the fullness of his immeasurable, unshakable overflowing love that empowers a believer to transform their lives to a completely different way of living. It it completely transforms our views, perspectives, and our lifestyles. And we prove this new transformation by the way that we love and interact with other people. See, in Christ, there's a possibility of a new form of humanity to what we see and see around us every day. Because that same spirit, that same spirit that gave us access to God through Christ is also active in transforming us from the inside out. So then we see in Ephesians 4, as, as he goes on to the, to the beginning of the next part, Paul explains the start of the transformation based on what we know in Christ. He begins, Ephesians 4, 1, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humanity and gentleness, with patience, caring, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, Paul is saying at the very least, the transformational power of God in us should cause us to be humble, patient, bearing with one another in love at the very least. And I mean, I I laugh because it's hard at the very least to even get to that sometimes. See, because the transformation... That, that transformational power of God's love, Paul goes on, goes on to call us to walk in unity, to walk in purity, to walk in love. He goes on to say that, that we walk in unity with other believers, loving and respecting the diversity and functions of each other's members, each other, each members of God's church. So we respect, we love each other, we respect other people, we respect the function of the church and every person in the church. Because of the transformational power of God's love, Paul calls us to be intimate and to imitate him by no longer living a selfish life of greed, lust, and all kinds of evil desires, no longer caught up in empty arguments 
or being disobedient to God's call, but to imitate God by walking in love, holiness, light, and wisdom. Because of that new transformational power of God's love, Paul calls us to walk in harmony in all relationships. And I mentioned that a few weeks ago with our husbands and wives, children and parents, employees and employers, all living in harmony harmony out of reverence for Christ. So now we'll pick up where I left off a few weeks ago and go to the last section of his letter. So I won't have time to finish it all today. So I'm going I'm to go through the armor of God. And, uh, and next week I'll finish with the sword of the spirit and power of prayer. So um, God is good. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 11, it starts off like this. Finally, so finally, this is the end of my letter. Finally, I've said all of this to you. I've told you about your identity. I've given you, I've shown you the mystery of Christ, the plan of salvation, the plan that God has for you, the new identity you have in Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit within you. I've shown you how to live a new Christian life, how to be transformed by the way that you live because of the power of God's love inside of you. Now, finally, he says, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the enemy. Paul is saying, be strengthened by the Lord by drawing on his strength and relationship with him. Depending on him, in all that you do. In fact, you can't even imitate any of these things without depending on him and relying on him. We can't do any of this stuff in ourselves. It's impossible to walk in unity. It's impossible to walk in purity. It's impossible to walk in harmony without depending on God and without relying on him in everything that we do. We can only walk this Christian journey with him. We can only walk this Christian journey with the power of the Holy Spirit active inside of us. Then Paul says, put on his armor. That means put on the new self that he was talking about in earlier chapters. Put on your new self. Put on that new creation that God's put it, given you. Put on his attributes. Put on his character. Put it on. We can put it on. We can imitate him with a renewed mind seeing things in a different light, putting on this transformational love and being strengthened by God. This strength is like wearing heavy armor. That's what he's saying. It's like wearing armor, God's armor, so that you can stand against the devil. I mean, I talk about the devil, but, you know, for many, even in the church, we don't like talking about the devil. And uh, many just say, oh, it's a, it's a primitive idea. It's just one of those ancient things and ideas that people talk about. You know, and uh, it's no longer no longer applying to modern era. Many, many, many don't believe that they won't even believe that the devil is real unless they see a, a head turning 360 degrees. I mean, for those that are older, they would know what I'm talking about. I won't even get into that. That was that, that hurt me for a long time, traumatized me. <laughs> many people, especially now in the 20th century, are then naturalists, like similar to like Charles Darwin and his theories. They see evil is not a spiritual force. It's just a lack of education. That's all it is. It's just a lack of education. They say all violence and all evil can be overcome if everybody was educated. That's what they say, right? And it's just people just learnt and understood how bad things can get. But we see the most educated people. <laughs> we see the most advanced cultures in the world. They're the most dominant. They're the most evil sometimes, right? 
We, we try to look for answers. The world tries to look for answers of why this human condition exists. You know, but there's no natural answer to this. No natural answer to all the evil and the violence and corruption and divisions and the brokenness in this world. The Bible says that evil comes from the devil. That's what the Bible says. From the beginning, God created two types of beings, human beings and angelic beings. Both of these had free will, right? So they can actually have a voluntary, a voluntary relationship with God. So that's what God did. He created that. See, you, you can't, love can't be forced. You can't force love. It needs to be voluntary. So God gave free will to both these beings, human beings and angelic beings. But this free will was used against God. And the angels and the devil rebelled against this God and, this, and their creator. And a third of the angels rebelled and fell with the devil. And now they call them demons. And that's what the Bible calls them, demons. They control this unseen world that we live in. And look, what, look how... Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces of the heavens. See, Paul acknowledges there's an unseen realm going on. There's an unseen struggle in the world that we live in, one that pulls and sways us in many different directions. Sounds kind of sci-fi, eh? We, uh, we watch a lot of these movies and we're like... It's like we've been desensitized to it. <laughs> you know, these are forces beyond our control. You know, we watch Star Trek. May the force be with you. But I'm not talking about that kind of force. Forces of darkness. Okay, I'm talking about that force. Forces of greed, lust, evil desires, temptations, fears, pulling us, swaying us. So there's many feelings of uncontrollable feelings and emotions. We can't see it. It's there. There's a constant battle for our attention, a constant battle for our emotions, a constant battle for our thoughts. Every day we fight temptations. Even by the way that we speak to people, even the way that we treat people, the the, the divisiveness, the manipulation. Many of us can't even control our thoughts and our tongues like Raquel spoke about in the book of James. We fight addictions with our phones (laughs) and other bad habits. Isn't the phone really addictive when you get into it? Oh. All these things, they're unseen, but they're real. They're very real, and they can be very destructive. And the Bible says that the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy us. But Jesus came to give us life to the fullest. And as children of God, we have an inner power from the Holy Spirit to live this life to the fullest regardless of how external circumstances are. We can live a life of faith, hope, love, peace, joy, and unity. With this inner power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says that you can choose to walk in unity. You can choose to walk in purity. You can choose to walk in harmony. And Paul says that we can choose to walk in victory. Amen? And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 6.13. For this reason... Take up the armor of God so that you may, may be able to resist, resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, take your stand. Take your stand. We can choose to walk in victory because we can draw on this inner strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. We can draw on the Lord himself whose mighty power 
will enable us to resist the devil. Walking in victory doesn't mean that we're completely, you know, uh, safe or protected from all the struggles of life. We're not completely, you know, protected from all the external circumstances. That's not what victory is. We still live in a broken world. We still face problems. We're going to take hits in life, right? Even you probably would have taken hits today already. Who knows? We're going to face battles. You see, victory is not being shielded from battle, but, right? Think about it. Victory is not being shielded from battle. We as Christians, we would like to think that. It's like, oh man, I'm going through struggles. These circumstances are killing me. God, where are you? Why aren't you here? We feel abandoned sometimes. But you know what? Victory is not being shielded from battle, right? Victory is won when you stand to the end, right? Jesus withstood punishment to the end, all the way to the cross. And he won the ultimate victory of the devil, with the, uh, over the devil. He won that ultimate victory over the enemy. And we are called to be victorious over the devil as well. That's our job, or that's our role, and that's what God's given us. And Paul is calling us to take the armor of God. He says, take our stand to the end. To stand in who you are in Christ. To stand as a child of God. To stand in your identity in Christ. A new creation transformed by the power of his love. Transformed into a new being. Taking on the full armor of God. By taking on his character. Imitating Christ in all that we do. Being strengthened by his power and by his transformational love. And you will stand, taking these on, you will stand and resist the enemy in the day of evil, when the day that you face temptation. And James, like we preached last week, it's funny how the Holy Spirit works through it. Submit to God, resist the enemy, and he will flee. And to illustrate this impenetrable armor of God that he has given us against the enemy, Paul used this, the illustration of a Roman soldier and the armor that he has and the armor that he wears. Which, which at the time was com- considered impenetrable at the time. I guess, I mean, if Paul was writing the letter today, he'll be talking about some other impenetrable armor. But at that time, he understood that it was the Roman soldiers' impenetrable armor. And it's an illustration of God's provision over our lives. So in Ephesians six fourteen to 17, Paul writes, Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness, like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, for many Christians, that scripture, it's more like a, a battle cry or, you know, a, a strong prayer or a declaration. And, you know, many times it's powerful and it's true. And, 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 but it doesn't end right there. This scripture doesn't end right there. Many of us just skim over it. And for a long time, I just go, oh, that's powerful. And then put it in the too hard basket. <laughs> it's uh, hard to understand. But the truths are much more powerful. They're much more powerful. And they can have a lasting effect over our lives when we understand it. 
And I'm here this morning to equip you with the power of the truth of the gospel. And Paul is saying, without the spiritual armor, we can't stand against the devil. We can't stand. So what is Paul showing us? What, what is, what is he showing us in the full armor of God, right? First, he says, Ephesians 6.14, stand with truth like a belt around your waist. See, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And God is the father of all truth. And the devil is the father of all lies. We can choose to believe every day to lies or we can believe the truth. Every day we, we make a decision. Well, actually, every minute of the day, sometimes every second of the day, we get to choose. And who we choose to believe every day will determine our victory or our defeat. Who we choose to believe. If we choose to believe the lies of the devil, then we'll be defeated. See, the Roman soldiers in those days, they wore these long tunics, right? Like a long dress, if you want to call it that. And, uh, and, they, and when, when they were running in battle, they had to tuck these tunics underneath their belt. Otherwise, they would have been tripped up with their running. So they had to tighten it and buckle it hard. Otherwise, these long tunics would have taken, taken them and they would have been defeated. And, and it's similar to the temptations in our life. They can trip us up. Similar to that. These selfish desires, they can trip us up. We can even know God's word and be in the church, but temptations will still trip us up. If we're not careful, we could still let temptations creep in and trip us up. <laughs> and temptations are always the lie of the devil. All right? Let that sink in. The devil will say, do it. It will make you feel good. The devil will say, do it. It will quench that burning desire inside of you. He will say, do it. Come on. It will fulfill every one of your needs. And it will be great. Be beautiful. Bliss. You'll be in heaven. And it's just a trap. It's a trap. Just like the, the serpent trapped Eve in the garden. His tricks have never changed. They've always been the same. Appealing to that selfish nature within us. Buckling on tight the belt of truth, it'll help us to resist the temptations that trip us up because we'll be able to see these lies in the full light of God's truth. We need to buckle up that truth and be brutally honest with it. Be brutally honest with ourselves a lot of the times. And what is God, you know, God's truth, God's wisdom, we've got to grab hold on to those. So how do we know we're living in this truth? It's the quick key. The Bible says there are specific, there's one specific action that lets me know whether I'm living in the truth or not. He says it in 1 John 3, 18 to 19. We should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. This is the way we know that we, lo- we belong to the way of truth. This is the way we know that we belong to the way of truth. If you want to know you're in the truth, see. How do you love people? The Bible says loving others lets me be confident I am living in the truth. Our hearts can be reassured, like another translation, translation says, that we are living in the truth when we love people. I haven't got time to go through the rest of that First John 3, but read it in your own time. And you can actually see that that living in the truth 
a few, I think it's the next scripture or the next verse down, uh, a couple of verses down that it says that if you are living in this truth, you can ask whatever you want and God will give it to you because you are living in the truth. You're not living in the lie. And unless you and I act in love towards others, we'll always be in doubt about the reality of God's truth in our own lives. Jesus said, you'll know who you are. You'll know who are his true disciples by the way that they love each other. When we choose to love others, it focuses us on the truth. Because loving people is the complete opposite of selfishness. The true testing of our Christian walk and our Christian maturity comes to true light (laughs) when we interact with other people, especially the difficult people. All our ugliness will come out. Everything will come out. We could say it all day long. But when someone hits you, offends you, hurts you, mate, we could say we're Christian all day long. Mate, but when that hurts, how do you respond? How do you, how do you respond? You can't pretend. And I think that's why God says, you'll know you live by the, in the truth. Just see, reflect and see how you, how do you love people? How do you interact with people? It will show whether you're living in a lie or whether you're living in the truth. See, the more you pull into yourself, the more you'll become selfish. Look what isolation did. People pulled into themselves, pulled into themselves. And it filled people with doubts, insecurities, become internally imploding anxieties and all the other stuff that come up. And people and churches that do that, they they implode as well. But the more you give yourself to others, the more you'll be filled with confidence about God's truth in your life. Loving others is a complete trust in God's truth and a complete trust that he will meet your every need. That's the truth, putting on that belt of truth. Next, Paul says, Ephesians 6, 14, wear righteousness like armor on your chest. And when you think of righteousness, what do you think of? When you just think of the word righteousness, what goes through your mind? Surprisingly, many people have negative views or thoughts and feelings or impressions about righteousness. Many, many, people that, many people think that a righteous person is someone that looks down on you and points out every one of your faults. And, you know, as soon as you do something wrong, like the librarian, shh. <laughs> But that's actually called self-righteous. It's not called righteous. It's called self-righteous. See, the Pharisees, they were taught, they were taught this about righteousness. Jesus told them a story in Luke 18 about two men that went out to the temple to pray. One prayed, the Pharisee prayed, and he said, God, thank you that I'm not like the sinner over there. And then the other one over there said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need you. And Jesus said that that sinner was more righteous and that Pharisee was not. And the story helped people of that time understand what righteousness and self-righteousness is. And we can learn from that too. A lot of people, even in the church, think that they can put others down. It makes them feel more righteous before God, right? And many leaders are in the habit of doing, not in this church, okay? I'm just saying in general, okay, in general. But that's not righteousness. It's a lie from the enemy. It's called self-righteousness. And self-righteousness 
is based on selfish motives. Righteousness has nothing to do with the way we look down on others. Righteousness has everything to do with the way we look up to God. Righteousness is not self-earned. Righteousness is actually credited to us. In Genesis, Abraham was the first person to have, to have faith. And the Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, I think I put the right reference yet. Abraham, which is Abraham later, believed the Lord and he credited it to, credited it to him as righteousness. God credited Abraham as righteous because of his faith and trust in God. Righteousness has everything to do with looking up to him. And God credits us with righteousness when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22 This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. See, we become right with God when we put our faith with Jesus Christ. Righteousness starts by becoming right with God, not by becoming self-right. We could stand before God and we can know that our relationship is cleared up. We can stand courageous and bold before God because nothing is standing in our way because of what Jesus did on the cross. So how does this righteousness protect me? How does it protect my chest and my heart? The, devil, the devil's lies can get us emotionally messed up sometimes, eh? We can get really emotionally messed up when we don't understand the righteousness of God, when we mix and we float between righteous and self-righteousness. The devil could come and accuse us and say, well, you're no good. You did this. You did that. How can you call yourself righteous? How? You know, you, can, you can't even overcome your selfish desires. You can't even overcome your temptations. It's not me saying that, the devil, all right? You don't deserve this. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve it. But when you know the truth about God's righteousness, it has nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with God. So the devil can have nothing on us because everything we do, if we make a mistake, we're forgiven by God. It doesn't give us license to keep, you know, sinning and doing. But if we do it, because we're humans and we're broken people, God's forgiven us. We don't need to listen to the accuser. We don't need to listen to the devil. When you know you're right in Christ, when you know you've been forgiven, you will be unshakable. Think about it. You'll be unshakable. When you know you're right in Christ, no condemnation. No guilt, no shame, even if your external circumstances look like rubbish <laughs> and seem broken. My heart is protected from the devil's lies when I focus on the truth of my right relationship with God and even when we interact with other people. You know, the first two commandments we heard again a couple of times Jesus gave to us Love God with all your mind, your heart, and your strength, and love others as yourself. The righteousness I have with God gives me the strength and ability to love others. I can't love God and love people on my own. It's too hard. It's too hard to love people, man. I need to rely on his strength. I've got to rely on his strength. Otherwise, I fall over many times over. You know, especially when someone hurts you or betrays you, 
Don't you need God more and more? Especially when, mate, when you gotta, when you, especially when someone does something to offend you and you get angry. You need God. You need to depend on Him. See, we can't overcome evil with evil. We can't overcome aggression with being aggressive back. We can't. We cannot overcome slander and divisions by being divisive and manipulative back. I've got one over you. You see, our greatest weapon is the love of God overflowing through us and we can, it flows out of us. And we could see things with God's perspective. We don't need to go on the enemy's side and use his weapons. We can use God's weapons of love, forgiveness, mercy, just like he has given us mercy. And you can only get this strength when you know the righteousness of God inside of you. So you can get a desire to understand righteousness. You can hunger and thirst for it. Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Being right is one of the most powerful characteristics that we can have. We can't, we can't defeat the devil, but Christ already has. And when we put the armor of truth, righteousness, we are standing with Christ in victory over the devil. We don't need to be afraid of the devil. Oh, man, when I was a kid, being a Christian boy, mate, we were petrified of the devil. Petrified. Mate, you couldn't even mention the word. Couldn't even mention it. Mate, quiet. <laughs> you know, we, but, um, John was saying that we have the authority, I think, or actually Lisa was singing it. We have an authority in Christ. Because we are right standing with Jesus. Those that believe in Jesus Christ and have put their faith and trust in him stand right with God. And because he has overcome, we have overcome. And our weapon is the love of God. Then Paul continues, Ephesians 6.15. And your feet, I'm going to try to be a little bit quicker. We're nearly done. I'm looking at the time. I'm sweating already. Ephesians 6.15, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. See, the gospel is the good news. Good news gets us ready for victory. (laughs) Bad news gets us ready for defeat, right? Just look at TV. Mate, look at the news. Man, every day we feel defeated if you look at it. You know, when when you hear a bad news report and what's happening in the world, what's happening with inflation, it can be very discouraging, it is. And we could just give in to it and feel defeated. The bad news can be disheartening. We can be deflated. Not the inflation, but deflated. But the gospel of the good news is that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the kingdom of God. The good news is the inheritance we have through our salvation in Christ. The good news brings peace of mind, peace of heart, because you can be in this world, but not operate out of it and be tied up to it. We can walk in peace and we can be ready to share the gospel of peace with others around us. Next, Paul says in Ephesians, I think it's one or two more, two more. 
yet two more. In Ephesians 6.16, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So what's faith? Hebrews 11.1 says it's the conviction of things that aren't seen in our lives. It's our conviction. You can't see it. You believe it. And that, that conviction that we're convinced that every, even though we don't see, we trust. It's trusting God above all else. That's the real basics of faith. Trusting God above all else. Trusting in his faithfulness. Trusting in his salvation. Trusting in the eternal promises. Trusting in his unfading love. Being firmly rooted in Christ. That's what fills you with faith. Trusting in him. See, we usually fall into problems and become unstable when we trust in someone or something other than God. When we trust in the economy. When we trust in ourselves. Or even when we trust some Hollywood star. <laughs> or even when we trust them as a role model. Or a famous person on TV. Oh man, they're, well, they're saying it. All right? Or even, or even a sporting superstar. Oh man, they, they got a lot of, you know, good wisdom about them. And listen to them. Sounds alright to me. Right? That's when we usually fall into a trap. That's when we usually have some deep issues. <laughs> Trusting in God above all else is like the shield of faith. And it's a very important piece of protection. Psalm 18.35, David said about God, You give me your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down and make me great. He gives us victory. Then Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation. Our salvation means the forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation with God, the gift of his love and eternal life. God loved you enough to save you and forgive you and reconcile you. When we know for certain that we are a child of God and our identity is firmly, firmly rooted in Christ, we're solid. These truths, they're considered weapons. These truths, just believing it with all your heart, with all your strength, they're weapons. And they lie against the devil. It's a piece of armor that the devil cannot penetrate when we truly trust in the word of God. Our minds are protected from the devil's attacks when we know for certain that we are saved. And especially when we think about the blood of Jesus. When we think about the blood of Jesus, the devil flees. Think about it. It's because that's exactly where he was defeated. He was defeated at the cross. The devil was defeated at the cross. So when you think, your mind thinks about the blood of Jesus, the devil flees. That's where the power is. The cross has the power and will always have the power to defeat the devil's lies. When you're stuck and you can't make it through your day, think about Jesus on the cross. Get your mind off your stuff and push your mind to go somewhere else and, and believe in the truth. How does your situation look like in front of the cross? How does it look like in the light of the cross? How does your sin look like in the light of your cross when you think about it and you think about the cross? How does, how does sin someone committed against you look in light of the cross? And I can tell you what it looks like. It looks forgiven. It looks forgiven. When you put these things in the light of the cross, you will take on his perspective 
and you will win the victory over those lies. When you, think, when you begin to think that way, it changes everything. It changes your mind, changes your thoughts. It's a helmet of salvation and the way you put it on by thinking about the cross. Let's think about the cross of Jesus Christ. God can get you ready to face what's coming your way today, right now, thinking about these things. God is faithful. He will protect you. God will strengthen you. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And God strengthens you by giving you every provision you need to protect you. You need to take a stand. Take a stand, Christian. Take a stand, Christian. Take a stand against all the pressures of life. Take a stand against the lies of the enemy. Put on truth. Don't compromise. Be honest with yourself. Put on righteousness, remembering you are right with God when you have faith in Jesus Christ. Put on the gospel of peace. Walk in peace because you know your, your eternal destination. You know the good news of Jesus and share it with others. Put on the shield of faith. Trust God above all else. Put on the helmet of salvation. Remember the cross. Remember the blood of Jesus, the very power of God. Amen. I'm going to end it there. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God is inviting us right now to involve him in every struggles of our lives. We are in a struggle, but we are not on our own. He's inviting every believer right now to stand and trust God. And I thank you, Father. And Lord, you equip us with every provision to be victorious. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of truth today, Lord. Thank you for the transformational power of your love. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to lead us in truth. Lead us into the truth of our identity in Christ. Imitating our Father. Knowing that we are a child of God. That we can be unshakable. That we have taken on a new form of humanity. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to empower us with courage to take a stand with every armor of God given to us. Empower us to put on truth and righteousness. Strengthen us with the power of the gospel of the peace. Give the strength to trust God above all else and to trust in your perfect salvation plan. Father, give us strength and courage to take a stand today, to take a stand against those selfish desires, to take a stand in truth and righteousness. And Lord, we know that there's a spiritual reality around us, but we do not need to fear because we can stand firm with you. We can stand firm in our identity in Christ. We can stand firm with the hope of eternal salvation. We thank you, Father. Help us, Lord, to be a, a church that you've called us to be, standing firm in our identity in Christ, standing firm with our armor of God. 
Help us to be that shining light that this community needs through love, patience, bearing with one another in love, wisdom, humility.